Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. So Molly, today we're talking about bras. Yes. Brassiers. So um, I thought a good way to kick it off would be for us to share our cup sizes with our audience. I don't think that's a good idea at all. <laughs> it's totally kidding. No, there's no way that would happen. Uh, no, but instead of sharing our own our own bra sizes, Molly, why don't we uh, enlighten our listeners with the average bra size in America? Okay. So the average bra size has actually gone up in the U.S. over the past 15 years. We have gone from a nation of 34 Bs on average to 36 Cs. Hmm. And that might be because uh, of things like breast augmentation and the rising obesity rate. So it doesn't okay. necessarily mean that we're just all getting a lot more voluptuous. Well, you- I guess we are getting more voluptuous, but not because we're more predisposed to big boobs. Speaking of big boobs, do you know what the um, largest bra size on record is? Do tell. According to the Guinness Book of World Records, it's a 48 V. V as in Victoria. Those breasts weigh 56 pounds when you put them together. Wow. That's another fun fact. You want some more fun facts? Yes. In 1991, a woman was killed by lightning when when the lightning struck the underwire in her bra. Oh, that is unfortunate. Did you also know, Molly, that, uh, that in some cases, breasts can slap against the chest with enough force to break the clavicle? Oh, my God. <laughs> Probably <laughs> if you had, you know, the Vs you were talking about. Uh, I think if I had Vs, I could barely make enough force mm-hmm. in moving. Um, here's, here's a fun fact that Kristen and I both like. Do you know um, the first sports bra was two jock straps sewn together and called a jog bra? Let's hope that those were not used shock straps. I hope I have not. To say. Um, did you know that Triumph International has invented an anti-smoking bra, which emits a mysterious fragrance designed to kill the desire to smoke? Sounds useful. There are also anti-mugging bras that can monitor heart rate and signal the police in the event of panic. There's also a bra that's been designed to detect radiation in case of nuclear attacks. So maybe your apocalyptic bra, we're ready for it. Yeah, bring it on. I mean, bras are just constantly evolving. So constantly evolving. And yet, Molly, uh, eight out of 10 women supposedly are wearing the wrong size bra. So even though we have all of these choices to pick from all types of fabrics and cuts and cups, etc., we're still just picking the wrong ones. I know it's weird. But you know what? What is also weird is Usually when we talk about an item of clothing or accessory, be it high heels or wedding dresses, whatever, we go back through history and kind of trace its evolution. And what was weird to me when we were researching this podcast is that the bra's history is a little bit more murkier than you would think it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the person who they attribute the first bra design to is somewhat contentious. Uh, but we could say, we can't say with certainty that the first patent for a breast supporter was granted um, in the mid-1800s to a man named Lumen L. Chapman of Camden, New Jersey. But don't just think that this is some male invention. About half the patents that have been awarded for things related to bras have been awarded to women. So this is kind of this uh, piece of architecture. It's so frequently referred to as a bridge when you're reading about bra design that has been constantly updated 
and uh, changed by women. Yeah, for instance, uh, in 1893, we have a woman named Marie Tusek of New York City who patented a breast supporter, which was basically the precursor to an underwire bra. Mm-hmm. So no one person really gets credit for the invention of the bra. They kind of um, paint it as this natural evolution from corsets, um, you know, supporting the breasts from below while cutting off all of your oxygen to supporting the breasts from above by using shoulder straps and hopefully giving you a little bit more um, room to move. Yeah, uh, because one of the reasons why bras came into vogue is because they simply fit better with the fashions of the day. Uh, for instance, with flapper style, uh, bras became a lot more popular because at the time they were used to sort of squash down the breasts because the flapper dresses were very low cut. And so it was actually seen as a little more of a modest covering than a corset that would kind of serve as a, you know, more of a bustier. Yeah, early early designs just completely flattened and don't lift in shape the way our famed Wonder Bras do now. But over the years, I was reading the things that have been um, used for bras include wire, cork, rubber, sheet metal, or cardboard covered with silk. And some rubber breast pads have been made of horsehair, elk hair, and antelope hair. Ooh. I mean, these are... These things have a weird history. Now, the word brassiere first shows up in Vogue, in a Vogue magazine ad, in October of 1907. Um, and the term brassiere comes from an old French word that means arm protector, and it refers to part of a military uniform. And then the word later became used for a military breastplate and then for a type of woman's corset. And then um, supposedly in the 1930s, college students were the ones to shorten brassiere to our slang bra. So that's why when I got dressed this morning, I was like, I'm putting on my arm protector and going to war. Yes. Um, you want to talk about maiden form? Yes. They're very iconic when it comes to bras. And what I thought was pretty cool is that there was this dress shop called Enid Frocks. Delightful little name. It was owned by Enid Bassett. And in 1922, Enid and her seamstress were like, you know, our dresses would be even more awesome if we had different kinds of undergarments that women can put on with them. So they made bras and they would give them away when you bought a dress. Mm-hmm. And these were bandeau style bras that they were making. And they gradually picked up, uh, became so popular, they stopped giving them away with dresses. And then about a decade after Ida and Enid started making their bandeau style bras, a manufacturer... S.H. Camp and Company first matched breast sizes to the A through D cups that we have now, and that was in 1933. Interesting. So as the years go on, we have all sorts of um, new designs. Some are sexy, some are modest. You know, bras really can't decide what they want to be. Victoria's Secret comes along, and it was designed to help a man feel comfortable when he was out shopping for yeah. a bra, because it was so European. <laughs> yeah, the first Victoria's Secret opened in uh, in 1977. And, you know... The Wonder Bra was the big sensation in the mid-90s. Probably our last big bra moment as a universe was when the Wonder Bra came along. And instead of um, lifting and separating, it lifted and pushed, giving the woman cleavage. Yes. Now, there's something that I did not realize, Molly, about bras is that there are two main types of ways that bras are designed. They're either designed as encapsulation bras or compression bras. And encapsulation bras um, are basically two separately lar- molded cups that completely contain the breast, whereas compression bras squash our boobs against our bodies to reduce the amount of weight that the, that the 
the bra really has to support. Yeah. And so then the question becomes, which bra do I need? And if you're asking that question, then you're sort of like, well, why am I even wearing a bra in the first place? Yeah. Because, you know, we think about corsets like that was just that's just kind of ridiculous. That was just to have an arbitrarily really skinny waist. Yeah. And as actress Marlo Thomas said on her show, that girl, God created women to bounce. I don't know if I entirely agree with Marlo Thomas, but that was in the uh, in the seventies when when ladies were getting a little looser with their with their brassiers. When they were allegedly burning bras, which as we debunked in our feminist podcast, bras were never burned. Yeah, but they are because they essentially, you know, when you think about maiden form, they came about because they wanted to look good under clothing to present the the breast better under clothing. Are they are they just you know superficial? Yeah. Were they a good symbol to burn because they were just making women look like men wanted them to look? Right, because the the purpose, one of the main purposes of the corset was to exaggerate the female shape to create this kind of overly feminine um, body form for women as a, as a way to kind of set them apart from, from men. Uh, so the question is, by extension, does that mean that we are still holding up, just reinforcing old, archaic gender norms by wearing bras, which are still just presenting our breasts in more aesthetically pleasing ways? And it turns out it's, it is largely aesthetic. I was reading and I was really shocked. Maybe everyone else knows this but me. But, bra- but bras do not prevent breasts from sagging. Yeah, they do not. Uh, they don't fight the good fight against gravity. If you wear a bra your whole life, thinking you're protecting things, you are not. They're going to sag. They're going to sag. It's just going to happen. But if you do feel more comfortable in a bra, then that is really the only purpose of a bra that can be found. But there have been a lot of uh, interesting studies about how our boobs move around because there is one thing um, that bras do do, and that's uh, with sports bras specifically, they do keep our our breasts from jiggling around because for some women who have very large breasts, that can be really painful and simply having that extra support, you know, can help out, um, the load that their, their back would be bearing otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Tons of women don't exercise because they can't find a good bra that fits them. And in fact, very little was known up until recently about how breasts move when a woman exercises. Like that sounds silly because you can look at a woman bouncing around and think, Hey, she bounces, but People used to think that you just bounced up and down. Not That's so. Not so. Not until Julie Steele came along and put all these light emitting diodes on women and then tracked the movement of those lights as they ran. Did we know how breasts really moved? Breasts actually move in a sinusoidal, aka figure eight pattern, which I found very surprising because like you said, I thought that there was just a bunch of up and down jiggling and small breasts. In fact, Molly can move more than three inches vertically during a jog. And that's just small breasts, Kristen. Obviously, the larger they are, the more momentum that's going to be generated. That is Newton's second law in action. The next time you're in physics class and need to explain Newton to your classmates, Use breasts as an example. Yeah, you can just personalize it with <laughs> and jog in place and have a cause a really awkward silence. Yeah, let us know how that works out for you. Um, but uh, if you wear a sports bra, though, it can reduce studies. Studies, yes, people have studied this. Uh, studies have shown that sports bras will reduce that movement by fifty three percent in A cup women and up to fifty five percent for G cup women. Right, but don't not exercise because you think that your breasts will sag 
as a result of all that running. You know, just because you're bouncing, it does not, that's not really a factor in the sagging. Yeah, there is a medical term for breast sagging, which is called breast ptosis. But unfortunately, uh, for some, bras are not the cure for ptosis. Yeah, it's kind of depressing, I'm not going to lie. Now, what about Molly? There is one kind of strange myth that's out there about a p- the possible harms of wearing a bra. Some people have said that bra wearing underwire bras make it more likely for you to develop breast cancer. Yeah, there was this study that was done um, by Sydney Ross Singer and Soma Grismeiser. Probably didn't pronounce that correctly. And they did the study, made a lot of news, a lot of headlines that said that women who wore a bra 24 hours a day had a 113-fold increase in breast cancer incidence compared to women who wore a bra for less than 12 hours a day. And so what they suggested is that the bras put enough pressure on the breast and the surrounding areas that um, your lymph nodes would cause um, like toxic material would build up in there instead of getting flushed out naturally. And so it kept all this toxin in and it uh, increased your risk for breast cancer. But what they did when they did the studies, they didn't examine any other risk factors for breast cancer. And so a big risk factor for breast cancer is obesity. So obese women with really big boobs probably are wearing bras more often than those who aren't. So it's not necessarily that they, it was not necessarily because of the bra, but perhaps because of obesity. Mm-hmm. And speaking of um, obesity, that is one one way that wearing a bra, wearing the wrong bra, especially um, can cause um, pain, especially in women who who are larger, because um, if their if their straps don't fit correctly, they're going to dig into um, the muscles in the back and trigger the nerves that run all the way down your arm and even cause numbness in your little fingers. So there can be um, health detriments to wearing a bra. So it's, that's why it's so important to get a correctly sized bra. But there aren't as many health benefits unless a bra helps you exercise. Yeah. And now here's a fun, just as a way to wrap it up, a fun way that bras can hurt your male or female counterpart. Actually, not really females because they probably know how to work a bra. But according to the Daily Mail, 40% of young men have such a poor understanding of the opening and closing of bras that they risk injury. What injury? Finger injuries. The kind that you could probably get like when you were rock climbing, uh, fractures and ligament damage. And so they did this study to show just how at risk men are for this because they don't know how to work bras. In one test, it took men an average of 27 seconds to remove a bra using both hands. Right-handed men using their left hand took an average of 58 seconds, while one unfortunate volunteer took a passion killing at 20 minutes, according to the Daily Mail. Wow. 20 minutes? To avoid finger injury for your fella, teach him how to take off the bra. Or just go braless, Molly. How yeah. about that? That's Apparently, something we haven't talked about. Why don't we just why don't we just let them let them hang free? And that's what we learned from our research: is if you are comfortable that way, there's no medical reason to put on a bra. Yeah. The whole reason we wear them is because we've been taught by society to wear them, and now it's hard to imagine life without them. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly can't go braless at this point, not because of size, I guess, but just because it feels weird not to have one on. Speak for yourself, Molly. Starting a revolution. <laughs> You're going to go braless? You're going to join? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> it does get, if anything, in the winter, it just get, it's just a little insulation against the cold. Yes, that's true. So probably for the winter months, we'll keep these puppies indoors. <laughs> All right, then, listeners, it's up to you to tell us, do your puppies stay indoors like Kristen's, or do they run free and wild like 
wild dogs? Like Marlo Thomas's? Yeah. I mean, are you guys bouncers or are you compressors? We want to know all about bras you like and that you don't like. And I'm, I want that selfishly as recommendations. That's what I'm asking for, ladies. It's recommendations on uh, bras. And Molly, let's not forget about the men, too. Bras affect men and women alike. As Seinfeld notably demonstrated, men can wear bras. The bro. All right, Molly. Well, it is time for a little bit of listener mail. And I have a very um, nice email here uh, from Leisha. And she said, I'd never really given much thought to my hair until I got to college. I'm a black woman, so my hair, while playing a central role in my life, was never really my responsibility as a child. I remember having to get up early with my mother on school days, sitting in her lap while she brushed and braided my hair for the day before driving me to school. She also remembers that it took hours to wash her hair in the morning. Um, and she would watch TV while her mom combed and dried her hair for 30 minutes and then oiled her scalp for 15 to 30 minutes and then they would go to the kitchen where her mom would use an electric stove top and break out the hot comb to straighten her long thick hair and then before she went to bed she would have her mom curl or wrap her hair so it would stay up nice and then she'd get up in the morning for more brushing and braiding now as um, an adult she says each visit to the salon um, would cost me anywhere from 60 to 80 dollars and she was making a trip twice a month at some point. One trip to straighten her hair out and one trip to deep condition her hair so it wouldn't fall out from all of uh, the chemicals they used on it. And she said these visits were just maintenance and this doesn't account for the times when I got cornrows, when I wanted trims or cuts, or for special dues for occasion. Though I never had a weave or truly outrageous style or color, my hair was still the only thing I spent a lot of money on. So then finally once she graduated and was living on her own and had her own income, she decided to start the process of locking her hair, which is um, getting dreadlocks. She said the biggest reason um, I got when I told, or the biggest reaction I got when I told friends and family was that it was a bad decision because people would think that I was an anarchist or a dirty hippie or that I would constantly be making a political statement with my hair. Honestly, all these comments irritated me because what I had learned from a lifetime of taming, taming my thick, wild hair was that it took a lot more money and effort than I was willing and able to put forth. I love my hair, but it's exhausting to keep up with. I envied my friends who could just roll out of bed, do some washing and brushing, and leave work in 15 minutes. Um, so she now has, uh, a year and a half later, she has what are called teenager dreads that are all pokey and floppy and go all over the place because they're still young. I'm not a dirty hippie. I think I look rather dashing with locks. And while I'm aware that people politicize my hair, I find it an easy and convenient way to style my hair, and I look like, and I like the look on myself. So thank you so much, Leisha, for sending in your perspective on hair. Yes, some insight into that world. Yes, and we always like to hear insight from you guys, so please send us an email. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And during the week, if you want to keep up with me and Molly, you can head over to our blog. It's called How To Stuff. And you can also read articles that we are writing as well on a variety of delightful topics all of which can be found at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?